Hi everybody, you're listening to the High Sessions Hawaii podcast where we talk about everything local and beyond. I'm Johnny Masato, your host. Joining me today is not Kyle Shimabukuro, <laughs> Kyle forgot it was a Monday, yeah, so he's yeah. not going to be here today. But uh, We told him it was at a restaurant too and still couldn't yeah. remember. Well, you think that kind of stuff would be automatically. Yeah, it's, okay. it's, it's alright, it's alright. We're here, we're here. I'll introduce our guests in a second. Before we begin, let me remind our listeners of all the ways they can stay in touch with the show. There is Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, all at High Sessions. Of course, you can go to SoundCloud, YouTube, or Apple Podcasts to listen to the podcast. And of course, you can email us at highsessions at yahoo.com. If you'd like to help the show get more music on the channel, you can go to patreon.com and donate. Then you'll be more involved with the show and help determine who and what is filmed. I'd like to thank Julie from Honolulu, who is oh. our newest Patreon. Oh, awesome. Julie, thank you. Thank you so much for signing up. Uh, and at not at the perfect time because she gets a 2022 custom Ooh. high session shirt score and then next month she'll get the 2023 wow. high sessions See? custom shirt so we get we have a new shirt every year that we put out i'd like to thank our sponsors Koopa Koopa landscaping landscape architects you can call kevin yokomura 808-722-8685 for a free estimate or go to koopakoopalandscaping.com of course, uh, Ford Ruger Market. We're not at Ford, Ford Ruger Market, but we'd like to thank them <laughs> for all their support over the year. And, of course, you can find Devin, Kumu, 94.7. You can find Kyle at highlifeclothing.com. You can go to Team Yamasato to find me. All right. So introducing our guest today, John Matsubara is the head chef at Feast. He's the and, owner. And owner, <laughs> yes. All right. Um, local eatery in Honolulu and home of the original Hawaii-style lobster roll. Yep. And I was thinking on my drive here, there's, you know, like, when you think of gigantic innovations and inventions, you think of, like, the wheel mm-hmm. <laughs> or penicillin. <laughs> I would add the Hawaii-style lobster roll yeah. Yeah. to that list of innovations. Yeah. And because I've had this thing, and it is one of the great... I'm not a lobster guy. <laughs> no, you're not. I, I don't even... like. I, I would I take crab over lobster any day of the week. But when it comes to the lobster roll uh, there's nothing better i yeah. think than the, the lobster roll so thank you uh do you, do you, I, i'm sure you agree <laughs> well <laughs> you know it was uh it's supposed to be a special yeah. and well <laughs> yeah i mean it it, it it was created during a very tricky period so this happened during covid when people oh. were restaurants were closing and people were losing their jobs and um you know inflation was going up and so who would want to spend all this money on an expensive lunch item everyone was going down and my wife's like you gotta make a lobster roll and I said what that goes against everything I've ever learned in this industry but as as fate would have it you know because all the restaurants were closing and the industry was shutting down people were trying to move the lobster because they had it in inventory so they were getting really good deals so I scooped up the entire lot I created this lobster roll and the thing went viral the thing went I've never seen anything go viral in my 30 years of cooking I've never worked at a restaurant where we sold over 300 of one item Mm. so we sold it came down to when we were really busy, we sold one per minute. What? We'd have to open up half an hour before, line up everything. We'd do 30 lobster rolls at a time. 30, 30, 30, 30, <laughs> 30, every 15 minutes. And so we were doing one per minute. It was crazy. 
Um, but that just goes to show you, what do I know? I work in this industry for 20, 30 years. My wife tells me you got to do this lobster roll. I go, why would people want to spend so much money on something during this time of this period? And uh, that's the beauty of it. You never know. Do you think it's because everyone was locked down, right? And they were thinking, I want to treat myself to something, but I cannot go out and eat something. So, yeah. You know, this lobster roll, yeah, it might be a little bit more that expensive was, than a... That was the feedback we got. Uh, ah. People had disposable income, right? Because, right, they, because right. they couldn't go out. They were still making the same amount of money. Um, and they didn't have anywhere to spend it. So in order to get a treat or to, you know, celebrate a birthday uh, privately, um, you know, that's, that's kind of... That was some of the feedback they had. But uh, that's definitely one of the reasons because, you know, after this thing went off, we really tried to focus on why does this sell? Because mm. we wanted to, um, you know, we wanted to expand to Japan and we we're doing it at the farmer's market. We got into Gold Belly where we're trying to ship it to the mainland and everything for Omiyage. Oh. Uh, but this thing is, it sells itself. Um, and it's not necessarily my favorite menu item, but people like it. <laughs> so I like people. <laughs> and it brings everyone together. You see grandmas, you see uh, say the, uh, the, the Opala guys, you see the state workers, you see the downtown people, you see the kids, you see the UH students, you see everybody enjoying it, which is you know, what we do in the restaurant industry is we really enjoy when people get together and um, you know, they get to experience that. So, well, let's absolutely. talk about that a lot, uh, a little bit, sorry. Yeah. We'll back up a little bit because I didn't think John was going to go straight for the lobster roll. Because once I, you do lobster <laughs> roll, then that's like a 20 minute conversation or I didn't think I was going to go there either. Yeah, but I know. It's, it's, so, like, it's so on bro. my mind, you know. Like, <laughs> as soon as I said it, I had it on my paper. I'm like, oh man. Just, I, I just so you know, if, if it looks a little different in here, it's because we are actually in Feast. Yeah. Uh, John, of course, uh, and his wife and his staff, they work super hard. In the restaurant business, you are working. 24-7, 365 days a year, because even on the days that you have off, uh, at least for John folks, there's, you know, they've, they've got to clean up the kitchen, they've got to do all the background stuff. So um, this was kind of the only time we could get in. Yeah. So we're like, yeah. okay, we're going to come in on a Monday because Monday <laughs> is relatively slow. Half day, and, half day. And then, of course, he's got all the family stuff that he's going to go to, so we're going we're gonna to do what we can. But... Um, uh, let's start at the beginning of your career because you didn't actually start out as a chef, right? You started out doing something else. Right. So um, I was in law school my first career and uh, I realized that uh, I really didn't want to do it. <laughs> and so what kind, what, of, what kind of law? Well, when you go to law school, it's you basically you get well, your JD, yeah. 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 So and then then you and figure then out you what your specialty is, right? yeah. So when I was doing it, um, you know, sitting in law school, and we're in Civ Pro class, and uh, you know, some guy gets called upon right next to me, and he starts reading the case, and he's reading it, he's all into it. And I looked at him, I was like, how am I going to compete with that? Mm. He's so into it. I mean, I can read and write, but you know, it, it just wasn't interesting to me. Right. So I was like, I need to find something that you know I need to flip it flip it around I need to switch it up and, and I need to be passionate about something and someone has to compete against me and so Ooh, when I was in law school it was very therapeutic I had my my brother was my roommate in law school I had my friends oh, wow. so yeah we're up in San Diego so oh. it was like for me therapeutic wise I just cooked and I was you know I just was it just you know it's therapeutic it relaxed me um, it was great so then after the first year I was like you know what I'm gonna go 
I'm not going to go through law school. I'm going to go apply for the two best restaurants in Hawaii. And at that time, I thought it was like Roy's and Alan Wong's. So I showed up over there and I said, what is it going to take to get a job here? He goes, well, do you have any experience? I said, no. I said, well, they said, do you go to culinary school? I said, no. They said, well, <laughs> you can wash dishes if you really want it. And so I ended up washing dishes for Roy's oh, wow. and Alan Wong's. And the deal I made was at Roy's, I said, okay, I'll wash your dishes. But I'd get to come in my, on my own time and work with the, the, the corporate chef or whatever and just make sauces for four hours and then I go bang out some dishes. And so that was the deal. It was kind of like an apprenticeship. Wow. And that's how it started. Wow. Yeah. So the, um, your love for cooking is from who in your family? <laughs> uh, so, okay, so when I think about cooking, I think about there's a spectrum. There's my mom and there's my dad. So for breakfast, my mom would make oatmeal, papaya, uh, you know, fruits all the and classics my, my dad would do like spam portuguese sausage fried <laughs> rice eggs corned beef hash right oh so both your parents cook they did but they cook very differently oh, one okay. was very healthy and one was very seasoned and heavy and, yeah. and delicious mm. right so my dad would growing up my dad on on sundays he'd have family dinner no matter what all the kids had to come back and you know he'd go okay you know here's some money go tamashiro market or go wherever go buy whatever you guys want you know and he'd go we'd watch harry coach Harry Kojima to Let's Go Fishing. <laughs> and so, we, you know, I remember one of the best recipes growing up, he got these cherry stone clams and he made like a black bean pork hash and he cooked the pork hash wow. and he put the cherry stone clams. Wait, Harry Kojima? On the, yeah. Yeah, because he did a cooking show the, after, right? Yeah. 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 So that's the kind of stuff my dad used to do ah, and buy, okay. right? So they were like, oh, wow, what is that, right? We don't get that on the weekdays. So, <laughs> <laughs> so you know, we would get together and, you know, all I have... Um, two brothers and a sister and we'd all get together and even when we got older our friends and stuff would come over and every Sunday we'd we'd go out and we'd just like get things and make things and you know go to buy local ingredients local food and just do it up uh, and then in high school you know it was about you know I wanted I wanted to get the girls so in high school I was working at um, a moving company my football coach owned a moving company and and in moving company a lot of the firefighters work Okay, okay. And they know how to cook. Oh, yeah, oh, yeah, 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 they got to learn how to cook for everybody. So yeah. they were teaching me how to cook. So anyway, you know, my first my first dish that firemen taught me was a steamed mullet with uh, salted turnip and, you know, sizzling wow. peanut oil and all that, lap chong and all dude, that. Dude, those firemen, they know how to do Yeah, they, they do it up. Wow. Yeah. So yeah. anyway, that's what I made for, like, when I was trying to, you know, get dates, <laughs> you know, I, I, I ah. set it up and, you know, because I, you know, who else was doing that in high school, right? I was like, hey, that's my leverage right there. <laughs> uh, everybody needs an angle, right? <laughs> yeah. So that's, that's how I got into, I mean, that was in my family. That's how it kind of evolved. It's all trying to get the chicks. Okay. Oh, that's just me. I mean, but, <laughs> but nowadays, you know, like my brother and my sister, they're always cooking. My brother's a great cook. Oh, so all, everyone in your family cooks? Everybody. Wow. Except, except my mom. My mom's still healthy. No salt. <laughs> no, no red dye number five. You know. Yeah, well, no I, I love the story about just going into Roy's and Allen's yeah. and just asking them, can I just come in and do whatever, you know, mm -hmm. as long as I get to learn. Because mm -hmm. a lot of people don't want to do that part of the, of the journey, yeah. right? They just, they're like, yeah, I want to get paid or I want to, I want to be in this position or whatever. Right. John's the grumpy old man, by the way. I am. So, yeah, he'll... he'll and I, I, I'm the one that now got <laughs> to deal with... kids nowadays. The kids <laughs> now. So, so, yeah, the fact that you would go in and, and, and work hard and what, your hands got all dry and cracked and stuff, or...? Yeah, it was, it was you know, it was, this, it was, it was you know, it, it showed me how bad I wanted. I was covered with other people's food on uh, me. I stunk. 
Um, but you know, that's where I met my wife. My wife was in law school, and she dated me when I was a dishwasher. So that's true love. You know, yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. I'd, I'd be all stink, and then you know, we'd go out to the clubs or whatever. And she'd be like, she'd get me right past the line, boom, get in, all stink, and it was awesome. <laughs> it was awesome. But uh, that was back in the day. Well, so. You're, you're a dishwasher. At what point, like, how long were you doing that before they said, oh, okay, well, John, maybe you have a talent for this? At, at Roy's, it was only two weeks. Oh, you gotta, wow. You gotta, you gotta remember, they had, different, they had different business structures. So, Roy had restaurants, a lot of restaurants yeah. all over the country. Yeah. And uh, Alan only had one at that time. So, when I, at Roy's, I moved up in two weeks, I moved up to um, being a cook. Oh. And then for Alan, it took almost nine, almost a year because there wasn't any movement. And, you know, if I think back nowadays in that kitchen, that was probably one of the most high powered kitchens that I worked at. You know, the guy, uh, Wade from MW, he was, he was a cook, mm. uh, Lance Kosaka that runs, um, you know, he's the executive chef. He, he, he was like a, he wasn't even a sous chef yet. And you really? had Barbara, Steve, and all the chefs for Alan were cooks and sous chefs. So, you know, there wasn't any movement for a reason because you had all this talent mm. bubbling up and ready. So when there was an opportunity to open up a new place, mm. they could just place them in there. Uh, but that's why it took longer. But, you know, that's well, patience. I, I just, it's just, it blows my mind because I, I know people who've worked for Roy. I know mm -hmm. people who worked for Ali. I don't know very many people who worked for both guys at the same time. <laughs> you know what I mean? It came up that way. That's amazing. I got the blessing. So when I... When I worked for both of them, you know, I, I told them straight up, yeah, I'm going to work part-time for Roy. I'm going to work part-time because I'm a dishwasher. So I want to learn. I was there to learn. I would go a lot. You know, a lot of my free time was spent over there. And so they knew that I was serious and I wasn't, you know, I wasn't playing around. So they, they, they really took the time to mentor me. Even to this day, Roy and Alan, every time I ask them about business or anything, uh, they're, they're, you know, they really take the time to listen to me. I can call them up and just talk to them and, well, that, that was great. my next question I was thinking is uh, during that experience how do you learn about the business side of running a, a restaurant because that's an important side and a, probably just as uh, difficult as learning to cook it's, it's right? even more difficult so cooking is the easy part mm. cooking is the easy part and the one thing they don't teach you in culinary school or uh, very few restaurants teach you the business side of it you know luckily alan would always have a monthly meeting and he would go over like the PL and he would go you know what our oh. our you know what food cost was what mm. labor cost was oh, what our expenses were so like every month there'd be the table of all the dishes and glasses that were broken but i mean not the broken ones but the whole ones and this is what was damaged you know this is like um dollars worth so wow. we know where it came from. We knew what was what was ruined. We knew what our food cost was. We knew what our profit margin should be. But even that, like when you're when you're a cook going through the rant, I didn't understand any of that until later on, right? So if I were to, you know, now if I if I mentor or train um, the guys in my kitchen, it's like having the eye for business before you start learning how to cook. So when you walk into, if I had that walking into every kitchen seeing how the operation was seeing where the the money is and how they uh be you know creative with it i think it would have helped me um a lot faster but i went i went with my passion first which was cooking mm -hmm. right and then i learned it uh slowly but it that's the hardest part is learning the business because 
you know, this is one of the toughest businesses in the industry. The profit margin is small. So small. The risk reward is very, very thin. So, um, you know, it's it's very difficult. And it's kind of cyclical, right? Because you can have a a run up where you're super popular, and then something could die out, and then you got to reinvent. And it's it's it's, it's all about reinventing, right? So, yeah. Like COVID was a good example. Like you saw some, you know, classic restaurants or classic mm. institutions not make it um and it it's not because you know they didn't know what they were doing but you know the thing in this industry is you have to be flexible you have to be open and you have to be willing to change right um and that's part of it and so what worked maybe a year ago might not be working now and so if you're able to pivot and shift and be able to execute um then you have a chance you know, and that's kind of what we did the whole pandemic was like, okay, well, this is not working. Let's switch to this. Okay, now we're doing takeout. We're going to do this. Our dining room, is, we can't use our dining room, so let's turn it into retail. Okay, let's do online. We never did online. Now we're going to do mm. online things. Okay, well, now we got our liquor license, and now we got to work on liquor, right? And now we got to do this, these ghost kitchens, and we're going to do <laughs> like, so it's like constantly nonstop. <laughs> but, you know, it's awesome because I am so full now because there's so many things you learn from it, right? And there's so many things How, like if you what, you went from zero to a hundred on online during the pandemic. Yeah, we had yeah. no online. Damn, we didn't even dude. know what online. That's online a, was for like macaroni grill or these big corporate places. Yeah, that, yeah, yeah. Like what's yeah. online, yeah. right? But I tell you what, it was magic. When we first opened, this 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 dining room was crowded, but only had like fifty people in. Had a line out the door, but that's only maybe hundred, right? Yeah. Online, no one was in our dining room. We did five hundred. Yeah, yeah. Because they yeah. order it, they pick it up, and they're yeah. gone. Yeah. And I, I was like, wow. Well, it's, it's so different from like a traditional restaurant. Yeah. yeah. But now, now the thing is though, right? As we're shifting back into normalcy, as the case may be, right? So as a as a restaurateur who had a thriving dining thing, mm-hmm. how do you manage those two? I mean, obviously now you're kind of not doing. In, right, but the whole reason you sort of start a restaurant is people taste your food, but people won't sit down and enjoy the ambiance and mm-hmm. all that kind of stuff. So my thing is, I've always wondered, as a as a restaurateur, at what point do you bring back that live component where people come in to sit down? Because, like you said, you can serve five hundred, you can do five hundred covers, doing takeout, right? And if you let people in now. Does that mean you have to do less takeout or do you try to balance those two things or, you know? It's all about balance. So, you know, we, what I learned is you got to create different streams of revenue. So one stream of revenue is takeout. The other stream is catering. The other thing is online. The other thing is um, to go or retail. And then we have farmer's market, right? And so we have, we have these different streams of revenue that we try to focus on. Um, Sorry, John, just a reminder about the table. What was that? The table. Oh, sorry. <laughs> Your ring is hitting the table. Every, everybody, everybody does it. It's Don't okay. worry. Yeah. Um, and then I think for us, because, well, first and foremost, now it's even harder than the pandemic, right? Because now staffing is even shorter. Now yeah. there's inflation. Now right. you can't get product. Before, people couldn't get rid of it. Mean, there was so much lobster, people didn't know what to do with it. Now it's like, it's, it's a shortage, right? Oh. So now it's even harder. It is harder now. I wouldn't be surprised if more places went out of business now than they did in the pandemic. Really? Mm. Yes, I would not. Um, well, we went like Ruger, man. The bowls, the poke bowls got 
went up so much yeah. just because of the cost of the fish. Yeah. yeah it's it's like $26 yeah. for yeah. a Pokeball. Pokeball poke 26 Depending on what you get. Depending on what you say. Usually it's like 18 or It's still around 20 mm. yeah. But I remember when Pokeballs are like 6 bucks. It wasn't that long ago, you know? Yeah. Yeah, it's yeah. crazy. So for us, I think because it's a different time and it's because it's it's a little more risky you know my thought is um introducing it slowly so on fridays and saturdays i would do this counter right here i'll do like a chef's counter and okay. uh, and instead of doing like servers or whatever uh you know my sous chef and i would serve it ourselves like you know hey it, it was it would it would be a different experience so this stream of revenue would be like okay you have you have the owner talking story with you giving the wine he selected serving the food he's selecting one seating or two seatings uh once or twice a week and so it's a completely different experience i think that that anything else is offered out there because there's a lot of volume restaurants or there's a lot of there's not as much interaction with the you know people that want to know about what the food where it comes from how it was made and all this kind of thing so mm. that's i'm, I'm going to slowly integrate that in and then um if that if I see potential in that, then we'll start slowly doing, I think, family style. The original, the original uh, uh, business model for this was um, to have counter service where you just, you know, you can, you can buy wine, you can buy the food, mm. and then, you know, uh, when you get your little buzzer ring, you pick it up and you can take it down and you kind of do it yourself. And this would eliminate, like, these are the problems in every restaurant, right? They have large overhead. They have large labor, right? They, have, they depend on all these things. But if you can eliminate that and come in at a price point where people can afford and they can es and enjoy that experience, then you know it's it's an opportunity. I remember I had a very close friend who who opened a, a restaurant that didn't didn't make it, but he was telling me, you know, those plastic spoons, those are you know so many cents. But he's like, you you add it up throughout the day, it adds up. Everything adds up. The napkins add up. The spoons add up. You know, all, all those kind of things, so. Oh, it's true. Yeah. And especially now because of there's laws, right? So now you can't use the cheap plastic spoons. Oh, now right, you got to right, buy right. the eco-friendly ones, which are three times the amount. So do you transfer that to the customer? The customers are complaining. Why is it so expensive? Mm -hmm. You know? I don't know. It's, well, <laughs> I mean. <laughs> that box in your, the bento box that it comes in is uh, not a cheap bento box, yeah. man. <laughs> you know, before, so. like, those styrofoam things were maybe, like, Ten, uh, five cents or whatever and now you buy the eco-friendly one and it's like almost 50 cents right that's uh -huh. you're talking triple over triple the price mm. and so, the thing starts to melt as soon as you put the yeah, food in there yeah. you put hot food in and well, it don't get me started on that because we we had ray on huh. and he's the plastic guy so we had yeah. a like a this guy who's his whole life is dedicated to removing plastic out of the ocean and stuff like that and he was talking about how all these like eco-friendly plastics they're not Eco-friendly. No, they're not. Yeah. yeah. So, so you're we're doing this whole rigmarole of like changing laws and stuff, and it's not even doing anything. Okay, this is what kills yeah. me. You know the recycle bin? Yes. Yeah. Yes. You know where it goes, right? It goes right in the trash. Right. Because it costs more to have someone well, sort well, it out. Yeah. And if, if you so, ever, what's the point? So, so <laughs> but it's a law. It's a yeah, law. Yeah. What's the point? Yeah, it's crazy. They, they came down one day and it was for my daughter. My daughter was in this like eco class or something at, at elementary school. So they're like, oh, we're going to come down and show you guys how to recycle. And you know how hard it is to recycle a plastic bottle? Because you have to look at every piece and every piece of plastic it's is different. And you can, only, yeah. you can only throw certain ones in the, and they're like, 
oh, if you throw the wrong one in the bin, they just throw it in the trash. Like, because they're they're not gonna sort it. Right. Anyway. Yeah, it costs money. That's why. Yeah. Don't don't get me started. Don't get that. him started. Yeah. I'm still waiting for in 2006, five. I don't know. It was like that. I, I participated in a UH business plan contest, and I remember sitting there at the fi- we didn't win, but I remember <laughs> sitting there at the final, and there was this guy from UH, the scientist, who had invented bacteria that eats plastic yeah. and poops out oil. Yeah, and I was like, awesome. Where yeah. is it? Yeah, where is this thing? <laughs> like, come on, we gotta get snapping on this, you know? Nah. But yeah, who knows? Who knows? Why? Okay. So anyway. Yeah. Back to the restaurant part of things. Yeah. So you were working at Roy's and at Allen's uh, for how long before you... Like, did you move on to different restaurants? No. So I... <clears throat> when, when I was at... So I, I worked at Roy's, became a cook, and then I waited for almost a year to get into Allen's as a cook. Once I became an, a cook at Allen's, I focused on Allen's. So I left my part-time at okay. Roy's and went to Allen's, and I was there for about three years. I worked every station. He had a program called Next Generation uh, Dinners, NGDs, which if you if you work a station, like say you work saute and you have enough specials where you can create your own menu and it was approved by him, then, you, then the restaurant would feature and market you um, once a month oh, for an wow. NGD. So once I did a few of those, I was like, I need to go somewhere else and nothing in Hawaii looked that um, I mean to me Alan's like one of the greatest teachers mm. you know he, he, he was able to teach and communicate um, you know a lot so that's what I was looking for so I, I, I chose the the greatest food city in the world which is New York City at that time so I packed up everything and left and I went to school for six month program a six month program called French Culinary Institute so I packed up everything and dug out uh, which is like jumping off a cliff. So <laughs> yeah, you know, I can only imagine, man. Yeah. And your wife was cool with all of this. She came with me. Wow. She's crazy too. She, you know, I, I gotta give his wife credit, man. Jamie is just, she's like a force of nature. <laughs> but they're such out. a, they're such an amazing team because she just, I don't know, she like instinctively knows what the two of you need to get done, and she, she's either doing it herself or figuring out a way to make him do it or <laughs> you know or or organizing things so that they all move smoothly but it's it's cool the the um the partnership that you two have yeah. is we is have a dynamic relationship quite fantastic yeah. man it's amazing so we both we both went up there i went for six months and then i started to uh yeah i interned up there and then i started to work there there were only four restaurants at that time. This is for before like Michelin star restaurants, but there were four restaurants with um, a four star rating by the New York Times, which was like the highest you could get. Yeah. And so my goal was to work for at least two of them while I was up there. Um, and, you know, that was incredible learning experience. Um, it was tough. I lived, uh, I lived in a locker room, a doorman's locker room for one of the condos. So what? Was, yeah. So... On 55th Street, 55th and Lex, there was a, a condo apartment building, and one of my relatives, who was a flight attendant, had this little—I don't know—room kind of, but that was <laughs> it was in the locker room for uh, the the doorman, and so uh, it was like, you know, about the size—I don't know—of a bathroom, 
and so they had no windows there was a little uh, refrigerator you know one of those little refrigerators mm -hmm. and if I had to use the bathroom or take a shower I had to go into the locker room for the doorman and so I stayed there uh, while I was learning and um, you know it was it was it was it just made you appreciate everything and then my days off I would stodge what they call stodge or shadow and all the in the greatest restaurants in the city or, or, or donate my time to go learn about the cheese or go to Chinatown so I knew that every moment I had up there I had to do something I wasn't gonna take a day off because I knew once I left there I wasn't gonna come back and um, I knew I, I, I didn't after like a year or two I was like I can't raise my kids here because it was so harsh the winters the subways the just the life I didn't want my children I wanted well, plus you're living in 55 square feet <laughs> yeah you know? that was that was for about a year or two and then and then Jamie came down and then um, you know she was a well she was a, she was a she got her law degree down here passed the bar in Hawaii she went up to New York and she passed the bar up there then she got a, a job being an attorney on Wall oh, Street okay. so like you know I moved I moved on up there to go. like a regular yeah, apartment you know right. like I, I we, we got a regular apartment um, and uh, you know we went from there but it was it was very interesting um, experience you know something that I, I mean I remember to this day you know so. You know, um, there's there there are YouTube channels of guys who just go around New York and they interview people who live in these like tiny, tiny, tiny apartments. It's super interesting. Yeah. How small and how like how little people can live without. Yeah. Well, if you're and working all the time, you don't. Yeah, yeah you're never yeah, home. You're just changing clothes or yeah. washing or whatever. And so you think about Hawaii. You know, people talk about housing and cost, and you know, now if you look at New York or some of these other cities, it can get really high. And people can live in really small places. Like it, it, it gets, it can get kind of crazy, you know. So, yeah, I wouldn't, I wouldn't recommend it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I'm not saying it's the funnest thing, but people. But you're, I mean, you're that drive that you had to learn as much as you did. Mm -hmm. I, I don't know where that comes from because I don't, I, you know what I mean? Like there's, there's these people who decide they want to be a chef. And so they go culinary school, or, you know, they go KCC or whatever. Mm -hmm. And you took a completely different route. Yeah. Right? Mm -hmm. And and here you are, you own your own restaurant, all of that stuff. Mm -hmm. So, um, I, I have so many questions. So, uh, where does the drive come from? Well, where does the drive come from? What is, what is that thing that's making you say, you know what, I, I'm going to learn all this crap and then I'll go and put them into motion. You know what I'm saying? Plus, then you decided to come back home. Yeah. Well, I think, I think the drive came from fear. Because I know, um, good motivator. Once I left law school, you know. Well, first of all, my, my dad's an attorney. My brother's an attorney. My wife's an attorney. My uncles are attorneys. <laughs> so I don't. I know where to find an attorney if I need one. But I think, you know, I, I think I put on the pressure. Uh, you know, when I was younger, I think I had expectations of myself as far as what I'm supposed to be or what I'm supposed to do. And because I didn't know what I wanted to do, I just like, well, I don't know what I want to do, so let me just go to law school, right? And then I realized, oh, well, I don't want to go to law school. So like, how long is this going to continue? Mm. So I think the fear mm. of me um, not being able to start what I finish um, really drove me to say, hey, you know what? What do you really want? And it really made me dig deep inside myself and say, hey, you know what? I need to stop. For me, it was like I was wasting time and money. And I know how my, my, my father is. You know, he's all samurai, samurai <laughs> Japanese. So I was like, 
I, you know, I had to get my shit together. Right. Um, and I think it was because of fear that drove me, because I cared. I cared. You know, I wanted to. Um, I wanted to make them proud. Mm. You know, and I think that's what what drove me. You know, years later, I realized that. You know, it, it, it sh- <laughs> I I don't want to do that to my children. <laughs> I don't want to. I don't want to create that type of fear. And so, you know, for me, that was a learning experience. But now, like, if I have my children or my daughters, it's like, you know what? I have, I mean, I have have expectations of you, but, you know, I want you to be a good person. That's the most important to me is that you're a good person. I want you to know that, right? And and two, I love them. Hmm. And then if, if, you know, whatever you want to do, I'll support that, right? I don't want you to make decisions like I made decisions out of fear or whatever. But actually, I was pretty passionate about cooking. And I was actually, I was like, whoa, I get chance. Like, you know, I was actually kind of, uh, I did okay. Where, um, <laughs> you know, I, I felt like that was my best option, yeah. you know. But that's the thing. I mean, it, it's funny because as parents, like all three of us are parents, you know, you, you spend so much time as a parent worrying that you're going you're gonna to turn your kid into like <laughs> this thing that doesn't do anything and just sits around, right? And then... But at the same time, you worry that if you make them work as hard as you had to work when you started, that it's going to totally ruin them. And I, I look at you and I go, bruh, I mean, you have this really successful business. You're, you're, I think you're, you're, I don't know, maybe it's because the two of us are older, but like that drive that you had, I wish I had that kind of drive because I, I, I didn't know what the hell I was going to do until I started doing radio in college. And I went, oh. I can actually do this. Yeah, it'll be all right. But, you know, the, the dedication that you had in terms of sitting there working two places at the same time, you know, starting out at a dishwasher. And then to know also, too, that, um, you know, because I've, I've worked in restaurants, so I've, I've had chefs that get mad and throw stuff and swear at you and do all that kind of stuff. And so I go, wow. I can't imagine wanting to work in that environment. But I, I've seen your kitchen as you work, and you're not. You're kind of like your mentors. They, you know, you're very much into teaching and making sure that they're um, they're working. I mean, you don't. I don't know. You don't take any shit about it. Like if they're doing it wrong, you're gonna tell them they're doing it wrong. But I, I don't know. I I, I, I learned like, what not to do. Yeah, yeah. I mean. Especially you, in New York, you you work in New yeah, York. Yeah, did you have you, was New York the worst as far as that goes? Uh, yeah. Roy's was tougher. Oh, really? Wow. Yeah, the corporate shelf over there was pretty tough. But you know, after that, everything was easier. Uh, you know. Um, but at the same time, you know, I I would the thing I learned about with Alan too was that when you try out for a restaurant, you basically stage your shadow, right? And that's that's for the, the staff and the chef to see if you fit in and it's to see if you fit in there. Right. And so with that interaction, when you work for free, it allows you to say, hey, is this a learning environment for me? Because there's a, there's a lot of great restaurants, but do I want to work in a place that, that treat people this way or disrespect people this way that has the same rating? Or do you want to work for these people that um, treat people good mm. and they have a great ra- same rating right but they do mm. it differently right and you can learn right so for me I gravitated towards more learning environments because to me that was as important I mean that's what I wanted to emulate you know hmm. and do you feel like once you you got into the restaurant world like you started getting a few wins here and there so like you know you're washing dishes at Roy's but then 
a spot opens up and now you're cooking so now oh, okay and it's just one of these things that things kept falling in place it just kept me motivated mm-hmm. yeah so opportunities kept happening right and so part of that was you know when i i would have chef mentors right and you would make short-term goals mid-term goals and long-term goals right so my short-term goals whatever i set out to do i accomplished and i was like hey first time <laughs> and then the midterm midterm goals eh first time all these things that you manifest and you focus on are now happening you know when you're younger it's like oh i got nothing to lose right because you haven't worked and focused on anything to accomplish yeah but once you see the like once you get that feeling you're like wow i did it i didn't think i could do it wow i did it i didn't think i could do it and you keep going and you keep going higher the more you do the more you understand you have the potential to do more right and so that's what opened up the door for me was that I just kept going. And, you know, a lot of people make fun of me. All my friends and family, they're like, oh, John, he's like part of the Witness Relocation Program. We haven't seen him in about 10 years. <laughs> you know, and it was true because, you know, like I couldn't afford to fly home from New York. So I think I only went home once in about five years. And uh, I just disappeared because I was so into the craft. And I loved it because I was learning so much. I mean, it was constantly stimulating especially in new york i would have so like so many notebooks of just information every day like do you go to your job and write how many how many notes or pages do you write every day of of, wow this or wow that or i tasted this or i saw that or we tried this or this i mean it was so fascinating and addictive right so the the more time you put in the more you got out of it Uh, and it was you know it's the best time of my life was it was great but yeah. home is home, so that's why but I came. You home. took notebooks of everything. Uh, you know, like a, I call it the Bible. So oh. I'd have a little pocket notebook. Yeah. And every restaurant I had, I'd write down recipes, things oh, wow. I saw, things I did, because no matter like, we this is before cameras. <laughs> this is <laughs> right, before right, right. phone yeah, cameras. Yeah, yeah, of course. So everywhere I went, I had to write it down, and on the subway ride home, I would reflect and regurgitate because things are happening so fast. You just jot down shorthand notes or whatever, right? And then after that, you process it and you write it down so you, it'll be remembered forever versus right. then lost, right? Because you, you're spending all that time and sacrificing. It's like, and that's the thing about being a dishwasher too. If, if I'm going to suffer, <laughs> I want something out of it, right? So uh, to me, you know, they, they say in all the ancient cultures about suffering, right? Not like suffering, but suffering, right? You suffer and then, you know, you, you reach the promised land after suffering, right? So right. all this suffering... Because I needed something out of it, and so whatever all the knowledge and experience I could get from that was worth it. You know, wow. So, uh, would you have any advice for somebody that's a, like a home cook or somebody who says, "Ah, you know what? Maybe I want to be a chef." Would you recommend going your route, where you just, you know, you put yourself out there and say, "I'm gonna work," or would you recommend going to a culinary school? I'd recommend you cooking as a hobby, mm-hmm. because right now restaurants are not a good business mm. um, restaurants used to be a good business but now you don't know because like that pandemic happened right so it can happen again yeah, yeah. Um, the margins are so small like there's other things you can do to have a gratifying life and if you cook on the weekends and you're it's a hobby you can fulfill that hmm. uh, but if you really really want it come call me I'll help you, I'll help you get there but you know I it, it's if you really, really want it. Like, I, I was thinking about when you're talking about your story about with, with pure heart when we started. Mm. 
you know, you, you start because you're just super passionate about it, right? But then, you know, people call you for gigs and you're like, oh, okay, we'll do that gig. And then you do that gig and then next thing you know, you're doing another gig and then next thing you know, they're calling you to be on TV and then you could, and, and you just, you're not realizing it, but you're kind of just stepping up this ladder, but mm-hmm. it's just because everything that comes to you, you just, okay, you know, and, and the passion plus the drive to just go and do it is... Yeah, you're open. Yeah, so, you're just open to whatever, right? Yeah, because it's, it's like, it's fun, so it doesn't feel like work, mm-hmm. you know? Like, my wife, it feels like work to her. Me, I'm like, come on, let's go. Four in the morning, let's go to the farmer's market. She's like... <laughs> and she, you know, she, of course she goes, but, like, she tells me how amazed it is that I don't even think twice. Like, I already know what I want to do, and I know what it, it you know, it, it makes me happy. Uh, even like the farmer's market it's just you know being part of the community and just just being out of the kitchen and doing the thing and, and being with the, the people in the community and stuff I mean that's all you need right yeah. that's all you I mean, for me that's, well, f- that's fulfilling let me ask you because we asked Roy this I got a I got a very interesting answer what is your favorite food like what do you like to eat my favorite food yeah oh wow I like really like, ethnic things oh you're really okay you're, so you, you have a uh, uh, yes. Like of any of any cultures or you know? uh, yeah any culture. So like yesterday, and I got gout, so I gotta watch out. But <laughs> uh, we were at we were at by uh, I forgot what the place this Filipino place. They had like um, they had tripe, they had pigs feet, they yeah, had yeah. oxtails, they had all this stuff. And I was like, they had the dinaguana. I was like, I was gonna buy everything. <laughs> and then my wife said, well, just get it, get it, you know. And I'm like, oh. I, I said, I gotta get out of here. I gotta get out because I, I know, uh, you know, my body's gonna thank me later. Uh, I like a lot of uh, I like ingredients that are hard to cook, right? Because anybody can cook mm. a filet mignon or a lobster, right? But if you cook tripe really well, or you cook pig's feet very well, or if you um, take beef cheeks very well. Do you do um, pig's feet soup for New Year's? Uh, no, we do ozoni. Ozoni, oh yeah, okay, you know ozoni. Yeah, 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 but I, I mean, I love pig's feet. I really like like Okinawan like nakami soup. Oh yeah, yeah, it's yeah, like yeah. clam. Oh, yeah. I mean, I, I love all that stuff, and I love a good braised shank. I like like slow cooked meats, mm. roasts, lechon. I like anything. Wow, yeah, man. that's all the stuff Devin likes too. Yeah, yeah. except for the dinner one. I can't. I can't. Yeah, roll. Yeah, 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 I can't yeah. roll with the dinner one. Yeah. I'm like, nah, nah, nah. Because yeah. uh, we, um, when my daughter was taking uh, dance classes, it was in Waipahu. Yeah, at the YMCA. So, oh, so you're nearby. Yeah, so the parents, the parents Helmuth. and I would make a yeah, we'd walk down to the little farmers market thing, and oh my goodness, like the food in those places was really good, but wow, it's there's the smells and the people. Yeah, it was it was it was an yeah. interesting experience. Yeah, <laughs> but that's the best places to get some of that food. So yeah, yeah. Well, that's cool. Yeah. So um, uh, as far as feast goes when did you say when did you decide the move was going to be here to one oh god this is another journey so it took me almost 10 years to get my own place i had investors i had opportunities it's just for whatever reason never worked out with the lease the spacing whatever so um i was doing a pop-up in in asia and um some the landlord contacted me. He said, hey, you know, I have a space up here. Come check it out. Let's meet. And um, I was like, Manoa. I wasn't looking at Manoa. I was looking at 
place with high traffic. I was looking mm-hmm. for downtown, Chinatown. Yeah, yeah, somewhere with high traffic. Yeah, yeah. Because, um, I mean, I don't, I don't, when was the last time I was in Benoit? I went to school over here, <laughs> but like, I haven't been here for like 25, 30 years, right? So when I came and checked the place, I was like, wow, this is a very unique property because one, it's not part of a strip mall. It's yeah. a residential area. Yeah. And then two, it was like, you know, when I came back here, I was like, hey, I used to play football over there. You know, I used to go um, uh, Manoa Marketplace. And then, you know, I had all these memories. I was like, you know what? I think I can make it work here. And so when I talked to the landlord, he was trying to look for someone that would be the right fit in this community and stuff. And I, I told him, we just hit it off. We talked. And then, um, you know, they were super supportive. So that's how I ended up over here. But, yeah, I wasn't looking over here. But thank God, because when yeah, that pandemic say, hit, it probably worked oh, out well, right? When that pandemic hit, all the places I was looking at, oh, they were gone. Really? Yeah. yeah, like downtown. Like my, you know, had all these business concepts, business models of downtown doing lunch and then catering and all that. But uh, downtown, man, during the pandemic, that was, and you know, and now it's actually uh, as bad. And some in some places, yeah. it's worse because the uh, they don't get the foot traffic because everybody's yeah. after, working even after the pandemic. They're working from home, yeah. and so. Uh, um, there's that there's this whole area right by where our radio station is and granted i mean they're changing it into a place where people are going to live now but all of the restaurants just just disappeared because they said um uh, aloha poke company who i know the owners there um they said after pandemic they would get at 12 noon they would get a nice little rush and, and that's it. it. And it would just die. Yeah. And they said, and they couldn't figure out what was going on. And it was just because people aren't working from downtown. Well, well that and I, I played at a, I used to play at a restaurant oh, yeah? down Terry's. there. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I talked to people and they're like, the homeless and, you know, I don't want to be walking around there at nighttime and stuff like that. Yeah. And I, I'm trying to explain to them, oh, yeah. you can park right across the street. You're just walking right across the yeah. street. You're not walking. Yeah. But people's perception already, you know, yeah, of down there at night. No, that's a that's a right? big issue is the homeless. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and and luckily up here, you know, there's a smaller population. Because right. even some of the places I was checking out there, like, well, there's one place. I mean, one of the the landlords were like, "Hey, we'll let you have this place for free. Just pay for the utilities." Wow. But when I went over there, you know, someone had like. Do number two in yeah. front of the doorway and I was oh, like man. oh my god I can't I don't know if I can come to work and, and then okay, there was yeah. like there was no like holes or stuff around so yeah, yeah, I was yeah. like I, I can't come here first thing in the morning and I have to deal with that yeah. I guess and then you know it's just I'm just grateful that this thing worked out over here because all the and you know it took a long time it took like 10 years but you know every everything happens for a reason <laughs> I really believe that hey you know what Plus, your daughters are old enough so they can work in the restaurant. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but I love your passion for it, man. But before we, so we, we have, I, I think, time for one more topic. Yep. So I wanted to talk quickly about, you have a passion for cars? I, I read in an interview that you like fixing up cars. You would do that if you didn't have the restaurants or... Oh, no. That, I, think, I think the question was, if I... If I <laughs> If I could do something else besides cooking, I would do MTV's Pimp My Ride. Oh, you would host MTV's Pimp My Ride. Oh, no, I just, I mean, I love cars. You know, like, there's this thing called Million Dollar Wheels. You ever seen that? Yeah. That no. is, oh. is that what, Netflix or something? No, it's on a, uh, I don't know what it's on. It's like, oh, okay. I don't know, I record it. But it's it's about, you know, cars that are just, like, out there, like, Trip really powder, expensive yeah. cars. I mean, I, I, I enjoy them, but. But you haven't ever pimped something out or done any of that kind of stuff? No, I pimp out plate lunch. <laughs> that's true the, the the yeah those plate lunches that you do man those bentos are crazy yeah. but that okay so 
Your wife says make a lobster roll. Sorry, I know that was supposed yeah, to be yeah, yeah, no, no But your, your wife says make a lobster roll. And where in your head does that come up from? Because after you did it, everybody else started following you and copying you. But um, you still yeah, have right. the... I was, yeah, yeah, I you still that. have the OG. Like you did it. It went, like you said, it went bananas. Everybody was buying it. And now all of a sudden, mm -hmm. there's at least five or six different places that do lobster rolls now mm -hmm. but you will still be the you will always be the og but where did that idea okay so as as the universe worked out yeah um hawaii food and wine the year before the pandemic got canceled okay now right. i'd already submitted my dish it was going to be at the kahal or whatever but it was the hawaiian lobster roll and oh. so in my head, I had already created this dish that I was going to serve to, like, you know, the best chefs in the world that would come and eat it or whatever, right? So in my head, I'd already created the dish. So when my wife's like, um, you got to make a lobster roll. And I was like, and, you know, she kept telling me that. And I was like, you know what? Okay, I'm going to show you. I'm going to make this. And we're going to, you know, we're, gonna, we're not going to sell any because it's so expensive and blah, blah, blah. And the opposite <laughs> happened. The opposite <laughs> happened. And, and like I said, like... I don't care how long you work in the industry or you just got to be open because I it went against everything I learned every single thing I learned about business about cooking about this industry and what do I know right like well okay so for for someone who hasn't had the good fortune like John and I to try this thing can you describe it like how you how you, you make this You don't have to give thing. the recipe, but... Yeah, you don't have to give recipes, but okay. I mean... Because okay. there's specific stuff that's very different to yours. Okay. So, first of all, you know, we, we, we get this beautiful lobster meat and it's cooked perfectly, right? It's it's chilled. So, we, we put a... Um, we mix it up with this thing called uh, umami sauce. Yeah. And that is the secret sauce because nobody knows what's in it and nobody can tell what's in it. Yeah. But that's what <laughs> makes the difference. And we don't put a lot, so it just coats it and it gives that umami flavor so we take the lobster we coat it in this umami sauce and then we take a hawaiian sweet roll yes. and we and it's nice and soft and we have when we butter it up and we toast it on a flat top and they teach the guys how to toast it so it doesn't stick so you have to kind of shake it back and forth and it crisps up and when that butter crisps up it browns and when it's brown it has that nutty aroma so you have that nutty aroma that crust on that sweet bread on both sides and then you put a little bit of more umami sauce on the bottom put the lobster meat all inside and you fluff it up really nice and then it's give total it a food porn then you get a butter bath you guys <laughs> ever had a butter bath i've never had we a take butter bath. clarified butter and we give it a bath and we pour it up <laughs> and down side to side up that lobster roll making sure that every morsel is covered with butter oh. and then we top it off with a fresh uh, Meyer lemon that Shinsato Farms gives us and we put on a little piece of fresh dill and we serve it with these piping hot crispy uh, yeah those fries are magical dude. those I don't fries know what yeah. the hell you guys do those oh, things but yeah. we put a little crack, crackish on it spill some crack <laughs> crack fries Devin's gonna play this every night before he goes to bed <laughs> I know <laughs> <laughs> but, that's, but that's what you hope for right is that the chef that's serving you your food when you ask him to describe it Makes it sound like the most amazing <laughs> experience ever. Yeah, man. So. You, need, you need your own show. We got to get you know, the John <laughs> I know, show. I know. That was cool. Yeah. All right, okay. Okay, last question. We, we're technically a music channel, so we ask this of all of our guests. It's, a, it's an off-the-cuff question, so just whatever comes to your mind. If you were stranded on a desert island for the 
rest of eternity could only take three albums with you to listen to. Or you can name three artists, maybe the collection of albums for the rest of time. That's all you could take with you. What three artists or albums would you take? One would have to be Bob Marley. Oh, all okay. Right. John's happy. That, that was my, <laughs> one of my choices as well. Led Zeppelin. Oh, nice. Oh. Uh, that's Devin's. Oh. That goes huh. And... Uh, The third one is always the hardest. Yeah. The first two come up, and then the third one would be the platters. I think the platters. Oh, wow. Okay. That is a diverse grouping of music. The platters make me happy. And every time I I hear it, it it transcends me into a different time. And then it, um, you know, like back then, the lyrics and the feelings were all about love and like... uh, Magnificence, and yeah. I mean, like uh, just, just like, like it no, just, it's just amazing. You're too young to have stumbled across the platters on your, like you know. Oh right, right. So what is your your parents had that? Yeah. So my dad, yeah, okay. he um he grew up in Hilo, mm. and so every your dad's from Hilo. He's from Hilo. My dad's from Hilo. Yeah. Okay, we'll talk after. And my dad's from Hilo too. Oh yeah. Oh, everybody might know each other here. So I, every time I went to my grandpa's house, he had an eight track. Yeah. And he never took out the platters, <laughs> and so every time we'd be cruising around. Only <laughs> you. I would hear all this, you know. Yeah, but um, all, all of them, the magic touch, all that stuff. It just brings back, yeah, yeah, you know, yeah, memories. Yeah. Cool. That's cool. I like cool. that. I like that. Yeah. Well, John, thank you so much for being thank on the you. podcast. We really appreciate it. This great stories, and yeah. uh, everyone, you, you have to have a lobster roll yes. in your life. <laughs> yes. like, if you come to Hawaii, just get a lobster roll. That that's your trip right there. And the, and the cool thing is, you can jump online. They make it super easy for you because you can yeah. pick the time. That you come in to pick it up, you can pay everything online. You just walk in, they go, "Here you go," and you just take off with it. It's great. Yeah, yeah. Thank you again. Thank you. Uh, Thanks, John. We'll see you guys all next week, and aloha.